Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Clippers, your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Locked On Clippers. I'm your host, Lucas Han. Today is Tuesday, January 17th, 2017. We're on Monday through Friday. Um, so, Clippers won last night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Big win, obviously. Keep the winning streak going seven games now. Um, we're going to get into that a little bit later in the episode for right now. The big news, of course, is Chris Paul and his injury. It looked like he injured his thumb in the last game. Um, Russell Westbrook came off of a screen. Chris Paul's chasing around the screen. And Westbrook kind of jumped back into Chris Paul to try to create contact and draw a foul. And when he jumped back towards Chris Paul, it looked like he kind of like he, he slammed into Chris's hand a little bit. Um, it's really hard to see, and you know, a, a sprained thumb isn't the kind of thing that, it's not like tearing, um, you know, turning an ankle where you see someone turn their ankle and you watch the replay and the ankle turns and it's obvious. A sprained thumb is kind of kind of tricky, and the way he hit it, um, it could have easily been nothing, and it's not like it was a dirty play or an uncommon play on the part of Russell Westbrook. In fact, it's creating contact like that to draw a foul on a defender who's a little out of control is something that Chris Paul does with regularity on the offensive end. So, you know, I don't think there is anything dirty or unsportsmanlike about it on the part of Russell Westbrook, which I know is something I've seen a couple people complain about, but it's just not, it's not the case. Um, it's not the case at all. And it's just kind of a fluky thing where, yeah, you're playing against a really physical player, one of the most aggressive athletic guards in the league, if not the most aggressive and athletic guard in the league, and there's contact, and it, you know, your thumb happens to get hit the wrong way, and it sucks. It especially sucks for Chris Paul, who's, you know, you saw, if you watch the game, you saw how frustrated he was. He kicked a, a chair on the bench as he was heading towards the tunnel because he's been hurt before, and he's been hurt a lot, and something like this is just completely unavoidable and the Clippers had just gone through that six game losing streak with him being out and now he's back and they've won six in a row seven if you include last night's game after they finished it out and the momentum's going and they're catching the you know they're making up ground on Houston and he gets hurt again so it's unfortunate it's frustrating um but the good news is you know air quote around good is that it's air quote around only a sprained thumb. It's only a sprain. Um, 
a sprained thumb is not good, but I know I, at least personally, watching it live, when I saw his reaction, I thought he broke his hand again, like he did in the playoffs last year, because his reaction was really, really similar to when he broke his hand. Not not like his the pain that he was in, but his frustration. You know, last year, if, if you guys remember in that Portland game four when he broke his hand, it was almost like it wasn't expressive anger or, or extreme pain. It was just like an unbelievable frustration that after working through the whole season and all the adversity the team had gone through, and he played so well with Blake being out all year too, that he just got this fluky injury and he knew his season was over. And, you know, it's still, it's mid-January, so there aren't many hand injuries that could end a season at this point, but there are hand injuries that could cost a lot more time than a sprained thumb, you know, hopefully, as long as it's not major, then a sprained thumb hopefully will. So the thing is, when, when they diagnose a sprain like this, you never know really how bad it is, um, or I should say we never know how bad it is. I'm sure the Clippers have a better idea of how bad it is than we do, but it could be the type of thing where it's, you know, he could be held out of practice and be day-to-day. Um, I don't think it'll be that minor, but... I honestly have no idea where to benchmark his um, or where to, where to set the timetable for his recovery because, uh, you know, I just did some quick Google searching, um, which isn't a great indicator because professional athletes get better medical attention than the rest of us humans do. Um, you know, if, if I were to tear my ACL in a pickup game today, I might be going around on crutches for six weeks waiting for the surgery that gets scheduled and whatever. If an NBA player, um, I won't name names, you know, because that's bad juju, so I won't use a hypothetical name, but if an NBA player or another professional athlete were to tear their ACL today, they'd be having the surgery within a couple of days, just like that. Um, it's kind of like how you and I have to buy a plane ticket online months ahead and professional you know professional teams just call a company and set up a charter plane for their game next week um it's just access and privilege so that's why googling isn't a great idea i googled and it said that normally you know based on what i could tell sprained thumb you'd be in a splint for about three to six weeks but there's a lot of variables that can affect that. First of all, I'm not a doctor, um, hashtag not a doctor, but I know that with especially things like sprains, there's a wide range of of what they'll call a sprain. Um, and a, some, I don't know if the thumb is one of these, but there are some, some sprains at different body parts where they give them grades depending on how severe they are. And so it could be obviously a more severe one or a less severe one and Chris is a professional athlete so he's going to be get be getting treatment and massage therapy and everything done on that sprain to get it back healthier than you or I would if you know we had to wear a splint and type one-handed for a month but it could also be more severe because of the way that he injured it 
playing in a basketball game versus just a normal everyday activity. Um, and the Clippers might be more cautious bringing him back because it's still just a regular season. We saw how cautious they were with his hamstring injury. So there's a lot of variables. Um, a lot of it, I think, feels a little better right now because we won the game. You know, the Clippers beat Oklahoma City, which is excellent. So that, that takes the sting out of Chris being hurt because it's like, Chris is hurt and we lost. You're already in a bad mood because of the, the loss and you're dealing with, now you're thinking like worst case scenario for Chris going forward. Um, but because of the win, it's a little easier for me at least since the Clippers won to sit back and just say, we're going to wait for the news and, and deal with that news once, once we get it. Um, and then the other thing is, yeah, it sucks that Chris is going out, but every day we're getting closer and closer to a Blake Griffin return. Um, today, actually, is four weeks from Blake's surgery, and he was projected to be out four to six weeks, which would make you think he should be back sometime in the next two weeks. Um, the Clippers play four games in this next week and then a week from today is the fourth game against Philadelphia so that would be the five week mark and then they only play one game actually in the next in the next Tuesday to Tuesday stretch um, against Golden State so if he were to be out two more weeks from today which would be six weeks total he'd be back for February 1st against Phoenix if he were to be out one more week, he'd either come back or the last game he'd miss would be January 24th against Philadelphia. Um, but maybe maybe he can come back sooner than that. I really, I'm not sure, but I know he's been doing the, he's been doing kind of strenuous workouts. Um, seems like he's kind of back to game speed workouts. So it's just a matter of conditioning and when they feel like he's ready to really be playing in live action. Um, and, you know, not just running through drills, but taking hits, driving to the basket, playing defense, boxing out, stuff that takes a little more of a strain than even moving at game speed in one-on-o drills, practicing post moves, running through plays, stuff like that. Um, but it's also possible that if the Clippers are just working on his conditioning right now as he tries to recover, but health-wise he's fine, they could bring him back even with subpar conditioning if they're going to be playing without Chris and they want to have one of those two guys on the floor. So a lot's up in the air. Right now we just kind of have to wait and see on the injury front. Um, but hopefully Chris doesn't miss too much time. Hopefully Blake is back sooner rather than later. Because the Clippers, I mean, the Clippers need wins. Um, it's as simple as that. With where the standings are and being three losses behind Houston, they are in striking distance. With 40 games left and two head-to-heads against Houston, they're three losses back, which basically means if they win the head-to-head games, they only have to outplay Houston by one game in the other 38 to take the three seed. It's no longer, you know, at five games, it seemed like, ooh, this might be a little bit of a pipe dream. That's a big margin to make up. It doesn't feel like that anymore. Now you're only making up one game, plus obviously you have to win the head-to-heads. That's a given. Um, but 
it's real now. It's within their it's within their reach, and so they need health obviously if they want to be winning enough basketball games to keep pace with with Houston and try to make up that one more loss that they need. Coming up, the Clippers do have a little bit of a break. They've got today and tomorrow off. Um, they're not practicing today. I would assume that they practice tomorrow to get ready for Thursday night's game against Minnesota. Um, that game against Minnesota is the last of this five-game homestand. So obviously, they'd like to win it and make it a 5-0 and homestand. That would be excellent. Um, and then they go on the road for 10 of their next 11. And even though there's a lot of beatable opponents on that 10 of 11 stretch, um, especially in the first half, 10 of 11 on the road is always hard. And in the first five-game road trip, it kicks off with Denver, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. You probably need to win all three of those games if you really want to catch the 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 Rockets. If you want to catch the Rockets for the three seed, you have to beat teams like Denver, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. And they play Phoenix on that road trip too. So really, on that five-game road trip, they play four games they have to win, and then they visit the Warriors, which obviously is a tough game and, and a tough matchup. Um, and there's actually three days off in a row going into that game, so I don't want to get too much in the Warriors matchup because we'll have plenty of time to prepare for that and all the different aspects, you know, psychologically surrounding the team there. But what it really comes down to is winning the other four games on that road trip. Because if the Clippers can go 4-1 and one on that road trip, that's a success, I think. Um, and then the, they play Golden State at home, and then they go on another road trip, but the, the second five-game road trip is harder. At Boston, at Toronto, back-to-back, then at the Knicks, at Charlotte, at Utah. Charlotte and Utah are both playoff teams. Boston and Toronto are both good playoff teams. And the Knicks are the Knicks, the Knicks are definitely the easiest game of that bunch. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't really know what's up with them. If I mean, it's there's some chance that by the time the Clippers travel to Madison Square Garden on February 8th, Carmelo Anthony will be a Clipper. Um, it's probably not a high chance. But it just kind of goes to show that we we really don't know what, what's up with the Knicks. Um, if they're still going to be slumping and it's going to be an easy win, or maybe they'll, at some point in the next three weeks, get back on track and get a little fire in their belly, and they certainly have the talent to play with the Clippers, even though they aren't as good as the Clippers. Um, but that second five-game road trip is going to be tough, especially the at-Boston, at-Toronto back-to-back to kick it off. Um, I think it's hard to win both of those games. I really, I really think that that's they'll probably drop one of those two. So, in this, up in the upcoming twelve games, home against Minnesota, five-game road trip, home against Golden State, five-game road trip. You probably need to go at least nine and three. So you're giving yourself the two Golden State games. And the Toronto game in Toronto on the second night of a back-to-back after traveling from Boston. You give yourself those three losses. You go 9-12. and 12, And you hope that Houston slips up a few times in the next few weeks too. Um, obviously, if they can win any of those games, 
if they can beat Golden State in at least one of those contests, or if they can sweep that back-to-back at Boston at Toronto, that's great because it basically it gives them one less loss. But I think if you beat Toronto, the expectations for the trip have for this next 12-game stretch have to be 10 and two. You know, beating Toronto doesn't give you license to lose to the Knicks. The Clippers can't afford to lose to any more of these non-elite teams. Um, so that's where they're at. And and getting Chris Paul healthy is going to be a huge part of that because you look at you look at that stretch. Nine and three seems pretty realistic. It really does. Um, at Utah's a hard game. At Boston's a hard game. Atlanta's not a pushover. You know, there they're are decent teams here. There are teams with talent, but these are all teams the Clippers should beat. 9-3 and three isn't unrealistic in the next 12 games. If Chris Paul is out, it becomes a lot harder to get to that mark. And instead of trying to keep pace with Houston during this hard stretch, you're probably going to fall behind and, and lose any chance at the three seed. So getting healthy has to be the Clippers' main concern and just getting guys on the floor so they can try to win these games and take care of business. Um... So now we can get into last night's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder a little bit. First, I just want to um, plug a little bit. If you guys know, I'm also the editor-in-chief of ClipsNation.com. Um, we do great coverage. We have new articles up every day. We break down games. We have previews and recaps. We have analysis columns, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, go read our stuff, comment. Tweet at me, tweet at the other authors. You know, we're always in our mentions, responding to people. Um, and if you own a company and your company is interested in reaching men, mostly men between the ages of 18 and 54, then you should be sponsoring this podcast, the Lockdown Clippers podcast. Our audience is 97% men and 82% between the ages 18 and 44 years old. And recent surveys have shown that podcast listeners are 65% more willing to consider purchasing podcasts that they learn about from their favorite podcasts. And 60%, um, you know, if, if products are equal price and quality, 60% prefer to purchase from companies that advertise on their favorite podcasts. Our rates are really reasonable. You know, I'd love to work with you. Um, so you can email me at lhan.clipsnation at gmail.com. That's L-H-A-N-N dot clipsnation at gmail.com. Um, I'd love to talk to you and work with you if you want to sponsor Locked On Clippers. So, moving into last night's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, maybe it shouldn't have been surprising because Oklahoma City was on a back-to-back after playing in Sacramento last night, and Sacramento made it a relatively close game, so it's not like they got to rest their guys in the fourth quarter. But... The Clippers kind of walked all over Oklahoma City. It wasn't much of a contest. Um, They were up 9 after 1. They were up 17 at halftime. And then, even though they didn't do as well in the second half, they still won every quarter. They won the third quarter by 4 points. They won the fourth quarter by 1 point. They won the game by 22. Um, And... That was with Chris Paul leaving in the second quarter with that sprained thumb. So Chris Paul only plays 14 minutes. He leaves the game in the second quarter with a sprained thumb. The Clippers go into the locker room up 17, and you're thinking, can the Clippers, without Chris Paul, hold off the Thunder? 
is a 17 point buffer enough and the answer is it should be it should be but it wouldn't be surprising if the Clippers struggled without Chris Paul and OKC took advantage um but then the Clippers came out and even without Chris Paul running the offense they score 32 points in the third quarter they build their lead they extend it from 17 to 21 going into the fourth and that was all she wrote you know, it, was, it wasn't much of a contest in the fourth. It wasn't the kind of game where it's going back and forth from like 18 to 12 to 15 to 8, then back to 15, then up to 20 again. You know, it, it wasn't in spurts where OKC was making a game. It, there was a pretty decent margin for most of it. Um, and I think a lot of credit has to be given to the Clippers' defense. Now, you have to take into account that Steven Adams was out for this game, and he's a big part of what Oklahoma City does on both sides of the of the ball, you know, on both ends of the floor. But Russell Westbrook, 24 points, 4 assists, 4 turnovers, 7 of 19 shooting. Victor Oladipo, 6 points, 3 of 11 shooting. Ennis Cantor, who has had like a bunch of 2010 games recently, I think he had 29 points in their last game, only had 12 points on 5 of 10 shooting, which is a decent game, but it's not the kind of explosion that they needed to keep up with the Clippers offense, who's scoring 120 points. And then on the flip side, the, the Clippers scored 120 points, um, and Chris Paul only had 8. Austin Rivers had an okay night, but he only had 16. J.J. Redick had a good night, but he had 20. It's not like he had 35. Um, but where the production really came was most Bates off the bench, with 23 points and 10 rebounds. 23 points and 10 rebounds for your backup center. He hit 3 of 7 from deep, 8 of 15 from the field. Um, and then Raymond Felton, filling in at point guard for Chris Paul, had 15 points and 6 assists, but he made all 7 of his field goal attempts, 7 of 7. Um, they got good minutes from Brandon Bass, which has been a trend lately. 18 minutes, 10 points, 6 rebounds, 4 of 6 from the field. That basically projects out to if he was starting and playing 36 minutes, he would have had 20 points and 12 rebounds. So for all of his flaws, he's not a great defender. On offense, he doesn't really do a lot, but go on to the offensive boards and then dunk when someone dumps the ball off to him. But for all that, he's giving the Clippers production. He's scoring and he's grabbing rebounds. Um, Wesley Johnson wasn't with the team tonight. For personal reasons, um, I believe his his son was born actually um, yesterday. So obviously, good for him, good for Wesley, good for their family. Um, looking forward, maybe if if Wesley Johnson stays with the Clippers for a while, maybe we'll have little Weejo coming to press conferences like we have little Chris and Blake's son, JJ's son, Jamal's son. Um, but obviously, great for Wesley. Um, you know the Clippers. Hopefully we'll have him back on Thursday. It'll be, you know, it'll, he'll have had a few days by then, but obviously you don't want to rush him. Um, that's that's special. It's really cool that, you know, I th I think it's cool. I think it's awesome that the Clippers have so many guys who, who have families. Um, and obviously you want to have young players and prospects that you're developing. You want to have 19-year-olds and 21-year-olds with upside. But I think it's good for the locker room that the Clippers have so many. 29-year-old guys, 32-year-old guys, you know, with a wife and two kids, that th there's a little bit of maturity and professionalism that maybe composure, consistency, you know, that 
that sometimes younger teams lack. Um, it doesn't stop the Clippers from yelling at the refs, but on pretty much everything except for yelling at the refs, they're a super professional team. Um, the way they interact with each other, the way they interact with the with the media, um, it's definitely something that you know I think they take pride in, and it's cool to have got you know guys guys like Wesley now and all the other players who who are family men too. Um, some of the other players, you know, Luke and Bamute had a quietly effective night switching around on defense, guarding all sorts of guys. Um, he only scored four points, but I feel like both of his offensive buckets were like big moves. It's not like, you know, someone passed it to him and he made an open eight foot jumper or it was a two on one fast break and he got a layup. I think he actually made moves reading the offense and the Clippers don't need more than that from him. It's okay if he had four points if he got the ball four times, shot two of three, and had a turnover, which was tonight. You know, if, if the offense flows in a way that he only needs to use four possessions, that's fine. Um, where, where he hurts the team is when he needs to use more possessions, when the ball gets dumped off to him, and he doesn't know what to do, and the offense gets stuck in a rut. But that hasn't been happening. Um, he's either making good moves or just letting the ball keep, keep flowing. Um, DeAndre, DeAndre had 19 points, 15 rebounds, four blocks, two assists, two steals. So he's, he continues his tear. He's been insane in the last few weeks. Um, maybe trying to make his case for an all-star spot. He's not going to get voted into the starting lineup, but he definitely could be trying to audition for, for some coaches to vote him into the reserves. Um, and he has a case. I'm not sure that he's the guy. I don't know that he, he'll get it or that even if, you know, if I had to make a an unbiased ballot, I'm not sure that I'd put him in. But he's making a case for himself. Um, he's going to be in the conversation. He's at least going to be one of the notable guys who didn't make it. You know, when people talk about, like, snubs, like, who are the best three or four players who didn't make the All-Star team? he might be in that conversation. Um, and then the last individual performance to kind of note would be that Jamal Crawford, who obviously has been in a terrible slump in the last, well, in the last like five games, but also the last 10 games, but also the last 18 games, but also the last three years. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he's been shooting like 40% from the field for the last three years, which is awful. But he was 0-5 last, last night, three turnovers, just didn't look good. Um, there was one play where, where Cameron Payne just picked his pocket like like a high school kid playing against his, you know, his little brother who's in third grade, just reached right around, stole the ball, went down, and got an easy layup. Um, and Jamal's been, it feels like his handle has been slipping in the last couple of weeks. Like he'll come off of a screen or he'll try to make a move, and the ball just isn't where he expects it to be at the time he expects it to be there, and he ends up having to pull up out of his move because the ball he doesn't have the ball on his string like he's used to having it. Um, so there's kind of two schools of thought on Jamal right now. Some people would say that he's done, he's washed up, he finally fell off a cliff, um, and went from being an inefficient player to not being a player at all. 
And some people would say he's 36 years old. He banged his knee against the Pelicans in late December. He's been forced to play high minutes because of injuries, and he just needs to rest. I don't know which one is right. It's probably somewhere in between. Um, he's never going to be an efficient player. He he really he was he was an efficient player his first year with the Clippers. He was okay his second year, and the three years since have been have been pretty inefficient. But I don't think he's gonna get back to being efficient. I think he could get back to being respectable-ish. But I, the answer is that he has to rest. He doesn't have to be benched. They don't have to say, okay, well, Allen Anderson is better than you, so Allen Anderson is going to play and you're not in the rotation anymore. He just needs to, with the, with the stretch the Clippers have coming up, he needs to take a couple games off for rest. Um, so they've got the two days off. Let him play against Minnesota. Rest him versus Denver. Let him play against Atlanta, and then they have back-to-back Atlanta-Philly. So rest him against Philly. And then they've got three days off going into Golden State. So you basically be giving him, in the next 11 days, you ask him to play two of the four. The team only has four games in 11 days, which is like a big, big rest break for everyone. But if you can give Jamal a couple extra nights off in that stretch, if you ask him to play two games in 11 nights... Maybe he comes back into that January 28th game against Golden State with a little pep in his step. And now the ball's coming up to his hand where he wants it when he's making his moves. Now his, he's getting a better elevation on his jumper and his shot's falling. The arc is better. Maybe not. Um, but I think it's got to be worth a try with how he's playing lately. He's shooting like 26% from the field um, in in this last stretch, which is, it's just abysmal. Um, The last guy I want to mention before we call it an episode is Alan Anderson. You know, his stat line is unimpressive, 19 minutes, two of five, five points, an assist, and a rebound. But what I noticed is that at least early on before the game got into garbage time, he looked like a player. And in a lot of his stints, you know, playing a few minutes in this third quarter here because of foul trouble and playing in the fourth quarter of this game when it's garbage time. He hasn't looked like a player in a lot of those stints. Um, he's been fouling like crazy on defense because he's can't. he's been unable to stay in front of guys. And on offense, he's just been kind of eh, ineffective. Um, but he had a couple of good moves today. He had one really nice like sidestep, Eurostep move to get an and one. Um, and then on defense, he wasn't just grabbing guys on every closeout because he couldn't stay in front of them. So that gives you hope. Um, it gives you hope, especially if the Clippers were to do some crazy trade, like trade Austin Rivers and Jamal Crawford for Melo. Allen Anderson would be pressed into backup shooting guard duties as kind of the fourth guard, Raymond Felton would obviously take on a much bigger role as the third guard, but, you know, it gives you hope that Anderson could give you 12 or 16 minutes. Um, obviously, it's one game, and I'd like to see, you know, you'd definitely like to see more from him before you determine, yes, he's a good rotation caliber player at his age with his injury history, 
but it's hopeful. Um, it was a nice sign. So hopefully we get to see more of Allen Anderson in, you know, in the coming weeks and see if he really can get going. Although it wouldn't be the worst thing if we didn't see more of Allen Anderson because that would mean that the Clippers are healthy and no longer playing their third string guys. <laughs> but if the Clippers are going to have minutes for him, let's hope he actually gets them instead of sitting on the bench when the Clippers go to like a nine or eight man rotation. Um, Let's hope he gets included and, and we can see see if he's going to be able to help the team or not. Because um, if, if he's playing, if he's going to play how he played earlier in the season, if the Clippers traded Jamal and Austin, they'd have to sign a replacement shooting guard. They'd have to sign someone. Because how he's played early in the season in limited minutes, he hasn't played at an NBA level. Um, but tonight, he played, he played, or last night, he played at an NBA level. So let's hope he can keep that up. Um, again, this is Tuesday. This is our second episode of the week. I'm here Monday through Friday mornings on Locked On Clippers. So we'll be back tomorrow with a new episode. Um, Clippers have two days off. They've got today off. They've got tomorrow off before they play Minnesota on Thursday. So we'll find some, some fun stuff to talk about tomorrow before we get into the Minnesota matchup on Thursday ep- Thursday's episode. Um, and that's it. So... Thanks for listening, guys. This is Lucas Hand signing off for Locked On Clippers. Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.